What are we trying to accomplish in education? We need a whole community of human beings, students and their parents, and our teachers and school leaders who are all on a mission to accomplish that purpose, who are thinking about how do we leverage everything at our disposal, including technology, to get there. I think we just need to be absolutely sure that we are leveraging it with the purpose of creating an equitable and transformative education. Welcome back to Wise On Air, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds on the future of education. My name is Basim, the producer of the show. As a result of the worst shock to education and learning in history, learning poverty, the percentage of 10-year-olds unable to read and understand a simple written text has increased to 70%, according to the World Bank. And on top of that, we have constantly been hearing the word reform quite a lot, especially since the pandemic. And there has been a growing consensus that has been emphasizing the need for education systems to not only prioritize academic skills, but teach students how to navigate uncertainty and change. In a world where educational landscapes are increasingly complex and challenging, a pivotal question arises. Is collective leadership the key to building a path towards systemic change in education? Does there need to be a more unified effort to achieve these changes and how do we go about that? To answer these questions, we're honored to have Wendy Kopp, founder and CEO of Teach for All and 2021 Wise Prize for Education laureate, as our guest. In this episode, our host Aurelio Amaral talks to Wendy on redefining education leadership in the face of current challenges and opportunities. They'll delve into perspectives on equipping students for an ever-changing future, the importance of unlearning outdated mindsets, and the role of technology in education. Let's jump to Aurelio to kick off the conversation. Let me start again by thanking you again for your time, welcoming you to the Wise on Air show. There are many challenges in education, but I would like to ask what do you perceive to be the most pressing challenge or challenges, plural, in education today? You know, I was expecting you to ask, what are the biggest opportunities and challenges? And I, I love that because I love starting with the opportunity. And do you think we have an opportunity in education that we don't always recognize, which is, you know, we have the power and the responsibility and the challenge of reshaping the world, right? Like what we have in our classrooms today and what we develop will be what creates the world we have tomorrow. And so I think it's just so important to center ourselves in that opportunity. And at the same time, we have deep, deep challenges. Our system overall is, first of all, so inequitable. You know, the circumstances of kids' birth really predict their ultimate outcomes right now. And, you know, it's a rare school or school system that breaks that link and that actually puts all kids on a path to fulfilling their potential. And at the same time, our system is terribly outdated. You know, it was just created in a different world when the challenges and the opportunities were different. And so we really need to see the full-on transformation of our education system so that they are equitable places that put all kids on a path to really developing as leaders who can shape the future we all want and need a peaceful and sustainable and just 
world. So big challenges and big opportunities. Thank you. I love that. And it's true. We often put the emphasis on on the challenges and, and there are many opportunities out there. So speaking of which, I'd also like to ask you, what's the vision that you have for a reimagined education system that really equips students for, for the future? You know, what are the key skills, the key competencies that they should be developing? You know, just to center the discussion, I really feel that I've just learned so much from the people across our global network, you know, of teachers and alumni, educators, and staff members all across our network. They're pushing in the early years of, of Teach for All on this question of what do we really mean by excellent education that led us to all come together to ask ourselves that question together. We actually started from the question, you know, what are we all trying to accomplish together over the next 25 years? And because we framed the question that way, we started by looking at where will the world be in 25 years? And that question brings out the uncertainty ahead, right? Like we just can't even predict. But one thing we know is that everything is changing. Like the economy is changing, the planet is degrading, like there are just massive challenges out there as we think about, you know, what's ahead. And so that context led us to just all realize together, there's actually no path to our global aspirations, you know, say the sustainable development goals, there's no path unless today's students are developing as leaders with the agency, the awareness, the kind of connectedness and empathy and problem solving and critical thinking skills and sense of, of well-being necessary to actually navigate uncertainty and solve all those increasingly complex problems and, and navigate you know, the changing economy to shape meaningful careers in the face of it. So I guess that's a bit about kind of how I've come to believe so strongly that we need to develop students holistically. Academic mastery is so crucial. Without that, we won't have the problem solving and critical thinking skills and the leadership we need, but it's it's not sufficient and we can't drive at it without also fostering students' agency, for example, or empathy. No, that, that's wonderful. And following up on this, what has motivated that stronger emphasis on student leadership? How do you realize that Teach for All should be giving more attention to, to that as opposed to you know the first few years of operation, for example? Well, I think when, when we started, all of our network partners, I mean, we're enlisting, promising leaders and asking them to commit at least two years to teach in, in under-resourced communities and we place them in the existing system and and they work to sort of do everything they can to meet their students' extra needs and to put them on a path to fulfilling their potential. But But ultimately they're kind of in today's system, which again is by and large a very inequitable and very outdated system that typically works toward kind of pretty narrow academic outcomes. But it it was the, the questions that were popping up across our network around what are we really working towards that led us to step up from that context and ask ourselves, I mean, again, it's one of those visioning processes. What are we doing together in the next 25 years? And you start thinking about like, where will the world be? And you realize 
wow, like, again, the responsibility we have as educators, what we're developing in classrooms today, that's everything. Like, that's what the world will be in the future. There's so much talk about long-termism right now, like the need to make decisions with future generations in mind. I've just come to think of education is is the ultimate long-termism, right? And there's so much that focuses all of us, I mean, parents, teachers, students, like on the present, right? Like we, we need to worry about the kids in classrooms today. And it's so true. I mean, we need to be wor- worried about the present, but it's also so true that that we need to take a long-term view and really step up and ask ourselves what we're ultimately working towards, what we want to have be true for the world and for our communities, and therefore what needs to be true for the students who come out of, of our school systems. And and based on your research, could you mention like a few practices and, and, and strategies that teachers have used successfully to nurture those skills, those mindsets that you just mentioned long-term? Let's first talk about mindsets, because I, I think what we've come to see in all of this is that, you know, us adults, we came through the old system, right? So the first thing we need to do if we're going to transform the system towards a different purpose is support all of us adults to unlearn how we were taught to see the world and to learn a new way of seeing it. And I think over time, we've really come to think more and more about that. For example, we need to support adults to see students as whole people who can lead today versus just as as passive receptacles of information who sit, sit down and do as they're told, right? We need to see ourselves as learners rather than as the people who know everything and need to just impart that knowledge, right? We need to see the challenges and issues that pop up every day in our classrooms and communities as deeply systemic in their roots, right? Rather than as problems inherent in kids or families or communities. And we need to see the assets in our communities, the parents, the strengths, the histories, and leverage those assets and bring them into our work. I think it all starts with mindsets. And and what we've realized is that if we can start there, then it becomes much easier to teach in very different ways. Perfect. And you mentioned the role of communities now as well. So linking that to the student leadership element that you also mentioned, what are like the lessons that adults can can draw from, you know, empowering students' voices? And how have you seen the students really emerge as leaders within their schools and within their broader communities? So I think if we have teachers who really are seeing their students as whole people and themselves as, as learners and partners in, in the learning process and you know the assets in their communities, it does really generate a different kind of, of teaching, right? It generates teachers who are building community and relationships in their classrooms and who are kind of facilitating the learning process. I think about, for example, a teacher who I met virtually from Colombia during the pandemic who was teaching a hundred students ranging, you know, from, I think it was grades five through 10. So, I mean, the kids were like ages 10 to 15 and he was teaching science and he started by just putting the kids on a research project, like saying, like, find out what's going on right now in the rural communities across Colombia. 
And the kids were shocked to discover, you know, the gas shortages, the lack of access to clean water. And they went on this path of, of learning all about that issue and, and also learning how to solve the issue. And they started, they've literally developed solutions, like, you know, solutions to actually purifying water and storing gas that ultimately led them to, you know, win global science competitions and to amaze the professors at the local university who they had reached out to test their ideas. So you think about that and how much those students contributed today and led in their communities, but also like think about the the level of agency those students developed through that, the ways their own awareness of their own country and the issues in the environment and everything else play. They were such a part of something larger than themselves and this team that was actually doing something that made a difference, like their level of connectedness to their community and to each other grew so much. And their sense of fulfillment and, and well-being grew. So you just kind of see it all right there. Of course, that's a big, you know, dramatic example, but I think I've seen just teachers operate through those lenses in in big and small ways every every day that makes a huge difference for students. Now that's such a powerful example. And and how can educators ignite that sparkle? Like you know, I, I don't I don't know if all students would have this proactive attitude and and go around the community and identify challenges and develop solutions. So what would be the ways to really create that motivation among students and develop that intrinsic leadership that you mentioned? So interesting. I do think it starts with relationships. Um, you know, your question is bringing me back to another conversation I had with another Columbia, again, during the pandemic, as Stephanie was her name. And she said that during the pandemic, you know, you're on Zoom. So she said, you know, we could see what was going on for our students. Like we came to understand their circumstances much more deeply than we had before. And so when they came back to school, she had a much deeper understanding of what the context was that the kids were coming from. And so what appeared to her in her classroom to be a bunch of unmotivated and disengaged kids, she realized there's a larger story. And she took them on an excursion, like they went on a hike at a nearby mountain. And so she really got to know them through that and she realized how much they were searching to make a difference. And so when they went back to the school, it was almost like, you know, they become different people. Like you get to know them as whole people. They started recycling programs in their schools. They started a whole tutoring program to teach the kids who had missed a lot of school during COVID. And she just realized they had just a different level of leadership and potential than she otherwise might have realized, you know? So I, I think it really does all start with getting to know students. Thank you. And I love that you're using examples from educators from Colombia, because WISE was in Colombia a few months ago hosting a conference, and we got to hear a lot of interesting testimonials from school leaders, from teachers, who use the surroundings of the schools, who leverage the environment in a very smart way. And I think your two examples really corroborate the perception that, that we had over there as well. So thank you for that. You mentioned a COVID and the intensive use of technology in classroom in the last few years. 
So I wanted to change the, the subject a bit and, and talk a bit about the role of technology education and ask you, how do you really envision the role of technology education and what are the main opportunities, starting with opportunities now, and, and challenges associated with the risks of integrating technology in and out of the classroom as well? Yeah. Well, I think we've all seen, I mean, if anything, you know, COVID has gotten the world's educators out of any form of inertia around leveraging technology. You know, I think we did see how much potential it has to make teaching and learning easier and more accessible. So there, there's clearly a huge opportunity to leverage it, you know, as a teaching tool, you know, AI and ed tech. I mean, there's so many possibilities that can make teachers' lives much easier that can enable us to flip classrooms so that kids can learn in their own time and in their own spaces. Like there's so much possibility. And I do think there's a lot of challenge, right? Like we cannot let technology, like the reliance on it, make it sort of an even greater wedge and creator of inequity, right? So as we think about how to leverage it, we need to keep that just front and center. And, and I think the other thing is that it it has the potential to become a distraction, right? Like mm. almost to seem like an end in and of itself. And I think it's just so important that we start not from the question of what, what can technology do for us, but really from the vantage point of, okay, so, you know, what are we trying to accomplish in education? You know, we need a whole community of human beings, students and, and their parents and our teachers and school leaders and, and others in and around that ecosystem who are all on a mission to accomplish that purpose and who are thinking about how do we leverage everything at our disposal, including technology to get there. Um, I think we just need to be absolutely sure that we are leveraging it with the purpose of creating an equitable and kind of transformative education. The one other thought I really have on this is that we need to enlist our equity-focused transformational educators in that process. I think the degree to which they are kind of driving things in terms of our, our leveraging of technology will end up with a very different result. And so one thing that we're doing across Teach for All is launching an, an ed tech initiative that is going to be all about First of all, enabling connectivity and access to technology all across our network and, and supporting the learning among the teachers and, and network alumni about how to best leverage technology in education and then, and then really fostering their engagement in shaping the ed tech space because we think that will make such a difference and enable us to really maximize its potential as a, as a force for good. Perfect. And you, you also mentioned like large-scale transformation education. So technology is, is one of the uh, potential elements, but what are you know the other enablers and, and barriers? I'm getting always starting with the, with the positives now. <laughs> uh, can help us achieve large-scale transformation in education. And you touch, you touch on some of the points already, collective leadership, involvement with civil society, broader community, parents, but how can we promote and, and enable this broader collaboration for large-scale transformation? You know, 
we all saw the conclusion of the RISE Educational Research Project this, you know, a few months ago. This was the 10-year research project that was led by development economists out of Oxford's Blavatnik School. And it looked at, you know, I believe, you know, 50 years of data across all the low and low to middle income countries in the world to try to understand what's at work in the school systems that are improving. And the big headline that I took from those results was that, you know, while we spend so much of our energy in education focused on what they would call technical practices, you know, things like curriculum and teacher training and and student assessments and, and making sure all of that's lined up. It's all all super important. But the research showed that, you know, that's necessary, but not sufficient to have the the kind of transformational outcomes we're looking for. And what they pointed to as the kind of X factor, like the thing that was present in every system that's improving was a collective sense of purpose that's felt throughout a system. So that research leaves us with the question of how do we develop a shared sense of purpose towards the purpose of students learning? And I guess it's that question that leads me personally to be so obsessed with this idea of intentionally cultivating what we've come to call collective leadership for ensuring all kids do thrive. And by collective leadership, we mean, you know, we need enough people throughout the ecosystem exerting ex, you know agency and and leadership towards a shared purpose and they need to be working in classrooms as teachers and as school leaders and we need them in the ministerial levels we need advocates pushing on the system from the outside and innovators and we need parents we need everyone around that ecosystem enough people with not only a shared sense of purpose but also the networks and relationships necessary to step up from those individual pursuits and reflect and learn together. And, and what we've seen is that that kind of collective leadership, which, which really is present whenever you see change in education, right? Like think about any school or community where you've seen real progress and, and you'll realize like collective leadership was present, but it doesn't magically materialize. What we've seen across Teach for All though is that through intentional effort, we can cultivate it. We really can invest in the agency and leadership development of a diverse group of people throughout that ecosystem. And, and it's, it's long, hard, messy work, but I, I think what that research shows us and what our experience tells us is that without engaging in that, there's no path to the transformative outcomes that we want to see. Perfect. It's a good segue to the next question. Are, are there specific indicators or examples that give us a sign that we're moving towards this direction, we're achieving the transformation that that you mentioned that we expect, and that can ultimately make us all more optimistic about the future of education? I feel like I have such an, an asset in this in that I've been going at this work for 34 years since, since first launching Teach for America. And so on the one hand, I, I see what everyone sees, which is that we are very, very far from where we want to be, right? Like, you know, we have such inequitable and outdated systems, and it can seem very overwhelming. But what I've seen over many years is dramatic progress. Like, if you look over time, 
there really has been dramatic progress in many communities around the world. You know, for me, this journey started in, in the U.S. in working in urban and remote rural communities all over the country where students were, you know, far, far behind their peers and graduation rates were in some communities, you know, as low as 50%, you know, in, in this very resourced country, that's just, it's, it's inconceivable. But what I've seen is that in some communities, we really have seen dramatic progress. I mean, there are multiple urban areas across the country where we've seen graduation rates go up 20 to 30 points in say a 10 year period. We've seen college going rates dramatically go up, proficiency levels. So I've seen firsthand that playing the long game of this work of collective leadership development does contribute to aggregate outcomes changing. And then to start seeing the same thing happening in communities around the world, you know, like the first adaptation of the Teach for America approach was in the UK, where a group of people started Teach First to address the massive disparities along socioeconomic lines in London. And, you know, that city has gone from being the worst place to be if you're a, a poor disadvantaged kid to being the best place in, in the UK to be. Like they've seen true transformation and it's happened through so many people, again, exerting leadership throughout that ecosystem. And then to start seeing you know, I think about Teach for India, which has, you know, fostered the development of 5,000 plus incredible leaders for many of the urban and rural communities across the country. But I think about what's happening in Delhi right now, um, in part through their efforts, but through the efforts of many others throughout the system where we've seen really, you know, just massive gains for kids in the last 10 years in terms of their kind of foundational literacy levels in the middle middle school years. So we see, I mean, if you take a long-term view, we know it is possible to change systems. And, and we also know, again, I mean, 10 years seems like a very, very long time, 20 years, but in the scheme of things, again, we need to take a long-term view. And, and if we don't go about the long, hard work now, we're going to be right where we are right now or worse in 20 or 30 years. So we can get on a very different trajectory. And, and to me, it, again, it requires long-termism, like us really deciding that we're going to do this today for the benefit of the kids in schools today and of, for the benefit of future generations. Thank you. And picking on that, looking back at these 34 years of career in education, is there anything that you didn't know when you first launched Teach for America and then Teach for All Network that you wish you knew and that maybe can inspire social entrepreneurs who are just now starting on their journey? The list of things I didn't know is, is just massive. I would maybe say two of the biggest learnings that have emerged for me as part of the, the kind of global part of this journey have been one, just really recognizing the importance of, you know, stepping back, kind of pulling up from today's world within our communities, like bringing diverse constituents together around this question of what do we want to have be true for our communities? And therefore, what do we need to be working towards for students? You know, like basically rethinking the purpose of education. And I, I've learned that there's a growing 
movement out there to have these kind of, quote, big education discussions in communities all over the world where we're considering that. And I think if I could do it all over again, I would put the effort to do that at the center of our work so that we're just all working together, all the teachers and leaders we're developing, working together, not towards outdated purposes, but towards a purpose that will really matter for today's world. So that's that's one of the most salient lessons I've learned. The other is about the power of of networks and of of learning together across communities, but also across countries. You know, we've I feel that I my learning curve has just become so much steeper and quicker, you know, because we're part of this kind of beautiful global learning community of of people who are learning across contexts, because as different as our cultures and 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 contexts are, what we've seen is that the roots of the issues we're addressing are are remarkably similar in many cases, and that means the solutions are much more shareable than we've assumed. So I've realized that we can just move so much faster if we're learning from each other. Amazing. And a lot of our conversation today has been around collaboration, the the power of community, of multi-stakeholder conversations. So I wanted to ask a, f- a final question. If you could offer some advice to all these different stakeholders that uh, are involved and should contribute to a better education system, and I mean not only teachers, but parents, policymakers, uh, other community groups, uh, what advice would you give to to each of them so that uh, our listeners who are not directly involved in the education system, they, they'll, have, uh, uh, they'll have some homework to do after listening to the podcast? The biggest thing I would say is go talk to students, your own, <laughs> your own kids, your students, if you're a teacher, like really ask them, start talking to them. Like I, I think we learned this during the pandemic, right? Like the relationship of like, we kind of stepped out of the box and, and we started really, I mean, parents talking even more to their kids about what's going on with their education teachers. I mean, there was much more partnership between students and teachers around like, okay, how are we going to keep learning happening? And I think students, you know, almost gained an expectation of like, they want to be consulted. And they can actually be incredible partners in this effort to reshape education. And I think are actually just hungry and dying for a chance to to bring their voices to the table. So I think ask them more about like, what's their experience in school every day? Like, how's it going? What do they wish was different? And I, I think that their answers will actually shine a light on the path forward. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Wendy, I think that's a great (laughs) positive note to conclude this conversation. And I just wanted to thank you again for your insights and and ask you if there is anything else that you'd like to to add that you'd like to share as well. Yeah, I think we're good. I mean, I guess since your audience is global, you know, I could just share that for anyone out there in a country with a Teach for All partner, I hope you'll learn more about it and get involved. But but for all those countries in the world that aren't yet part of the Teach for All network, we, we would love to talk with folks who are interested in kind of pioneering an adaptation of this approach in, in your countries as, as we work to grow 
grow our global network. It's all focused on developing collective leadership for ensuring that all of our kids can fulfill their potential to, to shape a better future. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much, Wendy, once again.